Welcome to California State of Mind from Cal Matters and CAC Radio. I'm Nigel Duara in Los Angeles. And I'm Nicole Nixon in Sacramento. Hey, Nigel, it's been a few weeks. I took some time off. The state's reopened now. Did you have a nice 4th of July? I had a pretty good 4th of July. You know who didn't have a good 4th of July was the Los Angeles Police Department. The local police down here held a demonstration for the media in which they said they are going to detonate these dangerous fireworks, Nicole. They seized them and they're going to get them. Oh. Yeah, there's one problem, though. When they detonated them inside of their special detonation truck, it exploded and it hurt people and it damaged homes right in this neighborhood. Whoops. Whoop. Yeah, uh, so they did the exact thing they were trying to avoid. Uh, I Yeah, possibly or even worse. I mean, a couple fireworks <laughs> at a time versus one whole detonation, I guess that's up to them, but it didn't seem like a good idea. Well, I spent the 4th of July sitting on my front lawn and watching everyone else around me light off their aerial fireworks, and so I got curious about the firework laws, and I Googled them, which is such a lame reporter thing to do. <laughs> And I learned about the safe and sane firework laws, but it sounds like that was not safe and insane. That's what it seems like from here. Well, we took last week off, but now we have a date for the recall election. It is set for September 14th, which is much sooner than originally expected. I think they were planning for it early on in November. So September, mark your calendars. Great. So we have to talk politics because we're on a politics show. (laughs) (laughs) All right. So, Nicole, how much is this going to cost me, the taxpayer? What's the dollar amount we're talking about? And do any of these challengers to Governor Newsom actually have a hope in heck of winning? So the estimate for the cost is $276 million. That's a lot for an election. Uh, It's a special election. It'll be vote by mail. So a few expenses. And your question about challengers is a good one. The polling numbers do look good for Newsom, and the number of voters who support recalling him has not budged in months, I think since January. So the the get-out-the-vote ground game, is it already underway, and I hear there's a new recent entrant to the recall? I think you can expect the the get-out-the-vote sort of push to really intensify between now and September 14th. Normally, this picks up in October after Labor Day, but there's only one week between Labor Day and this special election, so... It'll be insane. Just prepare for ads and mailers, Nigel. I'm warning you right now. As far as new challengers, we got news that Kevin Kiley jumped into the race. He is a Republican assemblyman um, who represents the suburbs kind of northeast of Sacramento. And Kevin Kiley has really emerged recently as like the top critic of Gavin Newsom in the legislature. And this is the guy that sued the governor over the use of executive powers during the pandemic, right? Yes, that's him. And Kevin Kiley has kind of really been seen as a leader of the pro-recall movement. He got the endorsement of the lead proponent of the recall, the guy who actually filed the paperwork to get this on the ballot, when he announced he was running this week. This stuff makes my head hurt. Okay, so he's like the fifth Republican now. So it's Newsom and a bunch of Republicans and like 50 other unknown people who filed so far, right? Exactly. So I I think the last time I counted, there was 58 or 59 people who'd filed. We will see if we can get up and match the number of people who filed in the to run in the recall. Last time in 2003, it was 135. So 80 people to go. We can do it. 135 people. Okay, we can make one more if I toss my hat in the ring. I'm not announcing right now. Let's see what happens. But I am considering it, and I have an exploratory (laughs) committee starting today. Yes! Okay. Well, let me tell you, the recall race may not 
be exactly sizzling yet, but we are here in Sacramento. Okay, we're in the second heat wave of the summer. Highs are close to 110 for several days at a time, and I am sweating when we tape this podcast. Meanwhile, state leaders are saying fire conditions are unprecedented for this early in the summer. Yeah, it's hot in Southern California, although here in L.A. we're protected by our marine layer. A lot of our fellow Californians who live in fire-prone areas have been kind of holding their breath to see what the summer brings. Unfortunately, they didn't have to wait too long. A bunch of significant blazes have popped up over the last couple weeks, including the lava fire in Siskiyou County. Right, and Cap Radio's Scott Rod went to report on it. He's also been tracking wildfire preparedness throughout the state, and he's back with us. Scott, welcome. Thanks for having me on. So when did the lava fire first break out, and at what point did you head toward it? The fire broke out on June 24th in the morning, and it was caused by a lightning strike, which is the cause of many fires in California. Um, and, and I went up there last Wednesday. So at that point, the fire had been burning for a little while. Uh, and just a couple days before, it had spread pretty significantly, and it became clear that this was a serious fire, a major fire, and, and really one of the first major fires of the year. And I stayed there through Friday last week. Well, we know this is early in the year with peak fire season. Um, well, I guess first I should ask, what what is peak fire season anymore? Like, how unusual is this for far northern California to have a fire burning in June? It's definitely indicative of where we're at with the drought and just how more how, how fire seasons are getting more intense, how fires are burning bigger, burning uh, hotter, and, and it, it's harder to contain them. And so, you know, there was definitely fear heading into this fire season, which, as you noted, sort of is becoming kind of a year-round thing, it feels like. But heading into peak fire season, there was concern that these dry conditions, the um, continuous heat waves that we're getting would lead to another year, potentially like last year, or potentially even worse. Last year saw over 4 million acres burned. Uh, that was a record for California. And a fire this big, you know, over 20, 25,000 acres in late June, early July, that's sort of the worst fears of this um, fire season starting to come true. It's definitely unusual to see this big of a fire burning. And I should note that there was a fire just north of the lava fire called the Tenant Fire. And that was um, over, that was approaching 10,000 acres when I was there. And as I was driving up there, another fire broke out just north of Redding oh, that I had to pass through called the Salt Fire. So they're cropping up and they're getting bigger as the, as the state heats up. It is not good. Um, describe for us, Scott, some of what you saw at the lava fire. Well, definitely, you know, large swaths of forest land torched um, around Mount Shasta. Fortunately, this fire did miss uh, many of the communities that are up there. And these are, you know, smaller communities that are a little tucked away. Uh, but uh, so far, only about a dozen homes have burned and about 50 or so structures. Um, so that's good news, but it's also, they count themselves lucky. Um, and, and this could have gone very differently if, you know, the winds blew in a different direction, for example. Mm. Well, I guess just tell us a little bit about who you talked with up there and what they had to say. I spoke to several evacuees, um, some who said that this was their first time ever evacuating, others who, you know, basically said this was old hat. They've, they're used to this. Um, fires have burned through this area before in recent years. 
One woman I spoke to, Joanne Jarvis, uh, she had just moved to the area recently and she was staying at the Motel 6 and she said this was her first time evacuating and it was a little unsettling, especially since she had a few pets in tow. This is Miho and that's Honey and this one is Tucker. All right. Miho, Honey, Tucker. No, Tucker is my love, that one over there. Oh, there's Tucker. You said you've been here for a year? Almost, July 4th. Did you move from an area that was also prone to fires? No, I came from Fairfield. So what are your thoughts about being here in an area that is more prone to fire? Is this what you expected? Well, I had heard about it. As my son said last week, Mom, you move there, get used to it. So so I've had my first experience, and um, I will bring more clothes the next time. But the dogs were prepared. What's the first thing you're going to do when you get back home? <laughs> Kiss my house. <laughs> Just like the people do when you see them get off the airplane and they kiss the ground. I'm going to kiss my house. But luckily I have a ring doorbell with the camera. So a couple times a day I check it. It's like, yeah, it's still there. And, you know, that speaks to the anxiety that a lot of folks have when they've been evacuated, which is they really don't know what's going to happen to their homes when they come back after the fire's been contained. Exactly. I mean, the fact that she is going to kiss her house when she sees it, it's horrible. But who else did you talk to, Scott? I spoke to a woman named April Williams who also evacuated. She went up to Wairika, uh, where the evacuation shelter was, and she also left with a few pets. Uh, but her experience evacuating was a little rockier. I remember, man, like I was sleeping and the next thing you know, I hear bang, bang, bang on my door. And I looked outside and it was like all red and so much smoke. And they were like, you have to get out of here now. And I'm like, freaking out. Because I was not prepared, okay? I had to get my cats, and that was really my biggest concern was getting my cats at the house. One of my cats ran underneath my bed, and I spent an hour trying to pry her from under the bed while my other cat was locked in my car, so she, he wouldn't jump out. And I know he was hot and stressed the heck out. But yeah, so then after I had spent so much time um, loading my cats up, I just got in my car, grabbed a few things, and I got in my car. And it was scary because, you know, when you're leaving and you see everybody in the streets kind of like panicking and stuff, so... I was just trying to get the heck up out of there. Everybody was kind of getting stuck, you know? And, you know, that speaks to a couple things. One, it's important to be prepared. April said that, you know, next time she definitely wants to make sure she has her go bag ready. But even when you are prepared, things are going to be thrown at you when you're trying to run out of the house that you were not expecting, such as trying to literally herd a cat. Uh, but also she told me that when she went to evacuate, she went to she went towards the main road out of town. But it was blocked off. And so she event- she actually had to find a different evacuation route, which also kind of threw a wrench into her ability to get to safe ground. Yeah, that's a- also a huge issue. Um, we heard Joanne talk about how, yeah, this is her new normal. Um, was there any sense of a sort of, I guess, resignation from other people you talked to? Like the idea that this is just how it's going to be from now on? Resignation might be a little too grim, but there is a sense of acceptance, I think, that, you know, especially the folks who are there and plan to stay there. Um, certainly, Joanne just moved up there. She has no plans of, of moving anytime soon. And I talked to other folks as well who say this is their home and they're not going to change that. Um, so, they seem to accept that things have changed pretty dramatically over the years in terms of wildfire risk. 
but they do have optimism that things could improve, but things have to drastically change. You know, uh, and a number of folks said that they didn't necessarily have the answers, but they felt like more fire prevention work had to happen, more investment had to happen, and they wanted to see this work getting done. And they they recognized that, you know, if that didn't happen, that this would be and continue to be the new normal. That's Cap Radio reporter Scott Rod talking with us about the ever earlier start of fire season. State leaders have taken notice of this new normal hitting northern and southern California really early this summer. Yeah, we're going to hear from Scott what politicians in Sacramento were doing about it when we come back. It's California State of Mind from Cap Radio and Cal Matters. I'm Nigel Duara. And I'm Nicole Nixon. We are back with Cap Radio Scott Rod, who's been sharing with us about his reporting on the lava fire. It burned more than 25,000 acres and destroyed 12 homes near Mount Shasta, and it dashed any last doubts that this fire season was going to be normal. So, Scott, you've been covering actions taken by lawmakers and Governor Gavin Newsom around wildfire. Well, wildfire season is here. What's the conversation right now in the state capitol? There's been an ongoing conversation, especially throughout the budget process, of investing more in wildfire prevention and resiliency. Um, this, this, these conversations started back in May. Uh, the governor announced uh, over half a billion dollars that would go towards wildfires, um, largely towards prevention. As the budget conversations continued in the following months, the legislature and the administration went back and forth as to how much money to put towards fires in the budget. And they ended up landing on a number that was lower than most people expected, actually lower than what both the legislature and the administration initially proposed, which surprised and for some frustrated them. After digging into it a bit further and uh, after some political pushback, the administration did say, okay, look, we're going to take this additional half billion dollars that we are going to save for the next budget for next year. We're going to make it available for this year for wildfire prevention if it's needed. Well, but my understanding is that this money is not guaranteed. So why is that? What's going on here? So the administration did attach a bit of a caveat to this money. They said, look, we'll make it available for this coming year. But if we deem it's necessary that we spend it. Um, so if we find that we need to continue doing prevention work and we don't have enough money for it, or if we want to, if we find a way to expand that work, then they'll make it available. Okay, well, what do state lawmakers have to say about this, especially with the fire season that's starting earlier and earlier? Well, initially, Republicans in the legislature, they were happy to see that this money was put back into the budget, or I should say made available, especially ones that represent areas that are prone to fires. However, after digging into some of the fine print of it, they weren't too excited. Uh, I spoke to Assemblymember James Gallagher, who represents Paradise and the surrounding area, which has burned a number of times in recent years. Here's what he had to say. So it's not actually $500 million that's going to be expended, uh, going to go into wildfire prevention activities. It's only if the administration calls on it uh, would the money then be available. So my solution, which has been very consistent uh, since the beginning, is we need continuous appropriation, meaning definite funding in the budget allocated 
and able to expend, not just there at the whim of the governor's administration, who doesn't really have a great record on this stuff. I also reached out to Democratic lawmakers. Uh, none were available for an interview, but I did get a statement from Senator Bill Dodd, and he said, quote, the additional $500 million is welcome news and another example of the governor's commitment to making our state safer. And Democrats have continued to, to push this message that they believe the governor has done a good job on fires and fire prevention, while at the same time hitting this message that we need to do more. We need to continue to bump up what prevention work we do. It's kind of a fine line for Democrats to walk, you know, when they're kind of pushing for more, but they don't want to be too critical of the administration. Um, you also reported that the governor has sort of grossly overrepresented work on fire prevention, acres treated, and all of that. Update us on what has happened since then. Yeah, our story found that Newsom overstated the amount of work that Cal Fire had done on these priority fuel reduction projects that he established after coming into office. And then beyond that, in total, not just those prevention projects specifically, but in total, Cal Fire's work on fire prevention, you know, fuel breaks, prescribed burns, that also dropped last year by about half. So that's been coming up in budget conversations over the last few weeks, especially from Republicans hammering this message that they want to see more money available in the budget for this kind of work. There have also been calls for oversight hearings into this to ask administration officials, you know, what work has been done, what still needs to be done, and was the public misled? Well, that leads to my next question. Um Anyone who spends any amount of time in a state capital knows that big issues, particularly big money issues, can sometimes take years to translate into actual change, you know, particularly when there's not a single straightforward solution. But the last year, the last few years of wildfire show that like there is no more time. This is a life or death situation right now. Has the urgency in the state capitol changed at all in the last couple of years? So there has been an increased urgency on this topic. I think more lawmakers have come around to the fact that the best way to ensure that these fires don't happen, or at least don't happen as big as they have been in recent years, is to start the prevention work before they even spark. I think there was a sense even just five years ago that, you know, we could firefight our way out of this problem that we can if we just, you know, had bigger aircraft and longer hoses, whatever it may be, we could fight these fires. And then we had paradise. We had last year with four million acres burned. And I think folks said, OK, we can't fight our way out of this. What are other options? So I think lawmakers are looking more seriously and with greater urgency at what can be done before peak fire season hits. Now to the second part of your question, when can we start to expect to see these changes take effect? Experts I talked to said we need to start doing this work immediately as soon as possible, but don't hold your breath in hoping that we're going to see these fires reduce in size anytime soon. We need to do this fire prevention work for years, five years, 10 years. Then we can start seeing these fires be contained. These fires be much smaller than they have been in recent years because we have about a century of fire suppression being our main approach to fighting fires. And that means a century of 
vegetation and fire fuels building up in our forests. So it's going to take longer than just a couple years to reverse that trend. Scott Rod of Cap Radio, thank you so much for talking with us. I'm sure that we'll do it again before the fire season ends. Thanks for having me on, and I'm sure we'll have more to talk about. Well, intense wildfire seasons or years, I guess, are our future for the next few years. That is really, really depressing. Yeah, if you talk to wildfire folks, they say there's not even a fire season anymore. It's just year round and they're bigger and they're hotter and they're happening earlier. What I worry about is the whole West is turning into Arizona. Yeah, because you know, when it all burns down, we'll just be dirt and scorched redwoods. No offense, Arizona. No, no, no. I live there. Lots of offense, Arizona. Lots and lots and lots, <laughs> especially Phoenix. I hope the sun's losing the finals. Oh. And that's okay. California's state of mind for this week. Thanks for joining us. Nicole, still hot out there. Go jump in a lake. No, actually, really, go jump in a lake. Well, I actually prefer a river, and I might just take my kayak over to the American River to stay cool. California's state of mind is a collaboration of Cal Matters and Cap Radio. It's edited by Tess Figland and produced by Jen Picard. Antonio Minez is our engineer. Sally Schilling is our executive producer. Mark Jones is the technical director. Chris Hagen is our digital editor. Margarita Noriega and Chris Bruno are our masters of marketing. Our social media is run by Emmy Gilbert and Courtney Fong. Nick Miller is editor at Cap Radio and Joe Barr is our chief of content. Dave Lesher is editor at Cal Matters. Our theme song is Mellifera Ligustica by Isaac Joel. Don't forget to subscribe to the podcast. You'll get notified every Friday of a new episode. That is all for now. Thanks for listening to California State of Mind. See you next week. Support for California State of Mind comes in part from Sierra Nevada Brewing Company, 